Over the weekend, Dorothy Dent Park died at the age of 103 in Ithaca, New York. Park and her husband, Roy, were Raleigh natives and are well known for donating millions of dollars to NC State and UNC Chapel Hill. The Park family also established the prestigious Park Scholarship, which is awarded to students who excel academically in challenging courses at NC State. Park was born in Raleigh in 1912 and studied English and sociology at Meredith and Peace Colleges. She met her husband after he graduated from NC State, and the couple moved to Ithaca in 1942, where they lived for the rest of their lives. Even though the Parks were far away from North Carolina, they never forgot their roots. After her husband passed away in 1993, Dorothy sold Park Communications, a company created by the couple, and put the money she earned from it into the Parks Foundation. The Parks Foundation was formed in order to support NC State, where her husband had studied. Shortly after, the Park Scholarship was born in 1996. There is a similar program at UNC Chapel Hill for the students in the Journalism Graduate Program. The Park's kindness will not be forgotten. Today, there are 165 Park Scholars attending NC State. In addition to their contributions to NC State, the couple also helped create Service Raleigh, the largest student-run charity, and the famous Krispy Kreme Challenge, which brings $2 million to children's hospitals annually. The legacy that Dorothy and Roy Park leave at NC State is one that will stand as a lasting testament to their commitment to service and to their home state of North Carolina, said Park Scholarship Director Eva Fight. Mrs. Park's leadership of the Park Foundation has forever changed the lives of both the Park Scholars and those whose lives are improved through their efforts. She stands as an example for us all. A memorial service will be held for this remarkable woman in Ithaca on June 30th. I'm Marissa Jordan with Eye on the Triangle. Good afternoon. It is a lovely Wednesday and I'm here to bring you KNCGO's ESPN and TMZ material. First and foremost, we here at KNC would like to congratulate the NBA champions, the Cleveland Cavaliers. This past Sunday night, the Cleveland Cavaliers, led by LeBron James and Kyrie Irving, defeated the Golden State Warriors 93-89 in Oakland, California in the seventh game of the series. The Cavaliers were the first team to win a series after being down three games to one. The Cavaliers came back with two very dominating games in Game 5 and 6, winning by many points. The last game of the series was arguably the best game of the series with the closest final score and constant back and forth with many lead changes and ties. Ultimately, the Cavaliers went ahead with the help of a heart-stopping block from LeBron James, a clutch three-pointer from Kyrie Irving, and a surprisingly and very impressive defensive stop from Kevin Love while guarding league MVP Steph Curry. LeBron James was naturally awarded MVP as he is the de facto leader of the team. Kyrie Irving could have also earned the award as he greatly helped the team. The best personality of the finals would have to be Kevin Love though due to a celebration in which he shotgunned two beers while wearing a stone cold Steve Austin shirt and permanently made himself NBA meme, much like the crying Jordan meme. 
This was the Cavs' first ever championship and LeBron James' third championship overall, ever on the quest for surpassing Michael Jordan's number of six titles, which is honestly looking pretty unlikely for LeBron at this point in his career. Switching to the pitch, the United States soccer team faced the number one team in the world last night, Argentina, in the Copa America semifinals. Let's just say the United States team is not anywhere near the skill of the number one team in the world as they lost 4-0 and looked outmatched most of the game. The U.S. soccer team went into the game rather optimistic as their performance in the Copa America has arguably been one of their best performances in a major tournament ever. They beat one of the top teams in South America and Ecuador and dismantled quality opponents in Costa Rica and got the job done with Paraguay to win their group. But things were looking a little bad for America going into the game as they are going to face Argentina without three of their top players, Bobby Wood, Jermaine Jones, and Alejandro Bedoya, due to a yellow card and red card suspensions. Coach Jurgen Klinsmann had a lot of options for his lineup but picked a rather disappointing starting lineup with Kyle Beckerman, Graham Susi, and Chris Wondolowski replacing the aforementioned players. Many fans and pundits were highly disappointed with the usage of Wondolowski, an arguably third-tier player in the MLS, when Klinsman had the option of superior youthful players in Darlington Nagby and Christian Pulisic. The U.S. optimism went down very quickly as Argentina scored a goal in the third minute of the game with an assist from Lionel Messi to Ezekiel Lovetsi for a very quick and disheartening goal. From there, Argentina's domination didn't stop once as Messi scored one more goal on a ridiculously penalty kick and had a few more assists to Gonzalo Higuan. I totally butchered that name. Argentina ended up taking the victory of 4-0 and will advance to the Copa America Finals this Sunday versus the winner of Chile and Colombia. The United States will play in the third place game versus the loser of Chile and Colombia on Saturday. Despite the large loss, the United States has played a great tourney so far and soccer for the United States side is looking bright as ever in the future. In music-related news, Ticketmaster got rightfully sued for their ridiculous quote-unquote ticket fees. With Ticketmaster losing this lawsuit, they have to provide reparations for their crimes against music fans. The company is providing people who have used the service between 1999 and 2013 with ticket vouchers for certain events as well as discount on tickets and fees. Ticketmaster will send out emails to people who have received vouchers and discounts where you can check your Ticketmaster account under active vouchers and find out how many vouchers you got. Some lucky individuals received up to 17 vouchers. I myself received a few and got a pair of tickets to Slipknot and Marilyn Manson, so like, that's cool. But I had tried to get a pair of tickets for Darius Rucker for my mom, but for whatever reason it wasn't working, so I see you Ticketmaster. I see you. In more local news, the Hopscotch Music Festival schedule got announced meaning fans across the state and even country now have like three months to plan their schedules out. Some notable events include Erica Badu at the Red Hat Amphitheater with Gary Clark Jr. on Friday night. Sylvan Esso are headlining the City Plaza Saturday night with the ever-talented hip-hop artist Ben Stables, sure to make for a great night. And most interestingly, Young Thug is playing in the Memorial Auditorium, a place where I have seen the Beauty and the Beast play with my mom. Boulevards is playing before Young Thug and I couldn't be more excited to see Young Thug in the Playhouse. The full schedule can be found online at Hopscotch website, Twitter, etc. Hopscotch is September 8th to the 10th, and I am definitely counting down the days to running around the city with y'all. This has been Jamie Hall with Down the Triangle, and I hope y'all have a good week. Hello, this is Jake Winters for Eye on the Triangle. This is Snowverated, and today we'll be taking a look at the film Still Walking. The best way that I have seen Still Walking described is as a portrait. You're led into the lives of the characters in the movie for around 24 hours and generally just see how they live. Just as a concept, it is interesting, but I have to admit it kind of sounds boring. Most people's everyday lives have limited amounts of excitement in them. 
So having a movie about a day or two in one specific family's life is bound to be somewhat uneventful. Still Walking is fictional, but they still decided to make it somewhat uneventful. The whole time I was sort of wondering if anything major would happen, and nothing ever really did. I still managed to thoroughly enjoy the movie though. It was calming and I felt relaxed as I watched it. This is in contrast to what today's movie theater experience is generally like. It's usually good to be on the edge of your seat for an entire movie, but this movie never did that, and at most only ever had me wondering, but not anticipating, where the day would go for the family as a whole. The movie is set in Japan and is in Japanese. Because it is really a portrait of their lives, it definitely depends on what background you have as to how you are going to receive the film. If you're from Japan and have left it behind, it may bring back memories from your old home. Or if you're like me and have no idea what life on an everyday basis is like in Japan, you may find the smallest things in the movie interesting. Because the movie is in Japanese, the translation from the original script to English is almost as important as the original script. Japanese is one of the furthest languages from English, so being able to get across implied meanings and subtext is quite the feat. Oftentimes, this aspect of foreign films is overlooked, but in order for a movie to even function properly in another language, it must be translated properly. In almost any language, there are a few ways to say just about anything. For example, if you're saying hello to someone, you might say, hey, how are you, good morning, what's up? These all have different contexts and hidden meanings to them. Some are formal and some are casual. In order to translate a film correctly, you need to convey these contexts, otherwise it just would not come across correctly. Now, I really have no way to know for sure if this movie was translated well or not, just as I am sure many of the people who thought so highly of this film before me also had no way to tell, but I feel like it is translated well because the music fits its moments and the expressions of the characters well. The portions of human interactions that have no need for translation, like body language and emotion, are far more important when a film is in a language other than your native one. It says something that the actors in this movie were able to have such genuine interactions, that even though the movie may not have been translated perfectly, you can still connect with the film. Because I am not at all familiar with Japanese culture, I found myself noticing little everyday items and tasks that were different from the things I am used to. This is a lot of what made the movie so interesting for me. I do not think that still walking being specifically Japanese had much to do with the interest, but rather just the foreign aspect and the movie's attention to detail. If a movie of similar quality were made for any culture in the world, I think it would end up being just as interesting. Still Walking almost felt to me as if it were a documentary at points. It didn't have the one-sided conversations that many documentaries have with the camera, but the shots in the film had the same feeling to them. As with many documentaries, I felt like an observer. The movie beautifully captures the everyday visuals that we take for granted. Even just seeing Raleigh on the way to work can be beautiful sometimes if you just take the time to stop and appreciate the buildings around you. I have to admit, though, that they chose a pretty beautiful town to film this in, which definitely lended itself to the style of film, which was overall beautiful. I'm going to give Still Walking a 7 out of 10. The movie was both beautiful and relaxing. I enjoyed seeing the minor struggles of family life we all deal with in such a positive light, and generally felt like they did an amazing job showing one version of what it's like to live in Japan. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Eye on the Triangle and Snow Verrated. I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening.